0: Welcome to People's Church Radio Program. If you find this broadcast to be helpful, please let us know. You can call us at 780-539-0572 or email mail at People'sChurchGP.com. Okay, we're starting a series. I gave this a very uh, complex title, Jesus Christ. Isn't it kind of funny when I say that? It almost feels in our world like you're swearing. I mean, we hear it, the full name out there, and it's certainly not representative of who he really is. And is meant to actually not worship or celebrate that name. But as we start it today, this series, over the next weeks, we're going to take a more in-depth look at him. Because I don't know if we really comprehend who it is that was born on that day. I think a lot of times we think that he was just a innocent, little, uh, vulnerable baby. Actually, no. He was righteous, not innocent. Holy, far beyond innocence. He was somebody that was born a king. Now a king is somebody that's not usually born. Usually princes are born. You are born a prince. And then usually there's a struggle for the kingdom. And whichever prince outlasts the other prince, they become the king. Through some kind of procedure in which they are recognized to be the king. That is not the way that it was with Jesus. Jesus Christ is a king that the moment that his lungs took in the air of this planet they were the lungs of a king. The heart which beat in his little chest its first beat was the beat of a king. He was born a king. He didn't become king. We didn't make him king. He came as a king. That changes the whole thought pattern to who Jesus Christ really is. Jesus Christ, we know is God fully in the flesh. It's the kind of thoughts as we start to dive into it that we're going to see how massively important he was. First, take a look at this great scripture. And it says this, But thou Bethlehem Eph- Ephrata. Though you be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, king, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. It surprises me how many people think that Jesus Christ's existence began on that night in Bethlehem. In essence, he has always existed. This particular scripture says that he is a ruler, that he's king, and his going forth, have been from old, from everlasting. He's always been, and he's always been active. So you might ask yourself the question, well did he actually come before that night? Had he ever in any way appeared on this planet in any other kind of way? You see, when it talks about him going forth from old and of everlasting, he has not been a secret. He hasn't been a silent person to this moment. This newborn child there has worked wonders long before that Bethlehem appointment. That infant that was slumbering in his mother's arms He is the ancient of eternity. His beginning has no beginning. His going forth have been of old from everlasting. He had going forth all the way back to the beginning of time. He has interacted with us in fact even before earth was made it was his mighty fingers that grasped the pen that wrote his own name the name of the eternal son of God and it was from everlasting that he signed that compact with his father that he would pay blood for blood suffering for suffering agony for agony and death for death in behalf of you and I That agreement was settled before anything was created from the mouth of God. See, it was from everlasting that he gave himself up. He had already given himself up even before sin even existed. Without a murmuring word, he gave himself up. He gave everything from the top of his head to the sole of his feet that would sweat blood He actually is the one that gave it all up that he would then be spit upon, pierced, mocked. He would be torn apart, suffer the pain of death and the agonies of the cross. That he would suffer the agony of taking on sin that he had no part in other than to take it from you and I. This Jesus... There's no helpless little child. You have to wonder about this. This love of God that before you were ever thought of. That love of God already existed in the person of Jesus Christ. In an agreement already pre-made to make you. You. Not only when you were born into the world did Christ love you, but he loved you before there were any sons and daughters of men. He would think upon you from everlasting to everlasting. You were in his mind, in his heart, in the agreement. Before anybody breathed air or one thing was created. only you would think then, if he really could just get tired of you, uh, he would have by now. If he had not loved you with a deep enough love, that would have showed up already, because he had loved you before you were ever here. He knew what I would be. He knew what you would be. He knew the entirety of every choice and every part of our story, every thought. He knew your makeup. There was nothing beyond his knowledge. If he was going to turn on you, he would have already done it. But he chose you. And unworthy is you and I am. He is content with us. He's known me long enough to know my faults. The ones that I might not even be aware of in myself today, ones that will yet show in the future. He knew me before I knew myself. In fact, He knew me before I was myself. This Jesus, He knew how badly I would act towards him. Yet he has continued in love for me and he has continued in love for you because his goings forth were of old from everlasting. They will be to everlasting. The work of the cross, the work of the blood of Christ, the work of this sacrificial lamb was enough but there's other ways to see Jesus not just even before time began but when time begins because God came to walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day that key word take on flesh to come and to walk with them this was Jesus There are four things I'm going to point your attention to where he showed up in the Old Testament. But on this, we start right in the book of Genesis and we think about right then, here he is walking in fellowship because he was created, or sorry, he created us for the fellowship that we would have with him. And here he is practicing that with man in innocence, Adam and Eve. Which, of course, the innocence would fail because of the great power of our choosing. Let me give you four occasions when Jesus Christ has appeared on earth as a man before the great incarnation that happened in Bethlehem. In the 18th chapter of Genesis, where Jesus Christ appeared to Abraham. Abraham is sitting in the door of his tent Lot, his nephew, has parted from him and he's down in Sodom. There's about to be a judgment come upon this whole, all the cities of this valley. Sodom and Gomorrah at the head of the list. And the Lord, it said, appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre. And he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground but whom did he bow to he said my Lord capital L capital O capital R capital D God in the flesh my Lord and he was speaking to only one of them the others were just two created angels but this was the God man Christ there with Abraham and it's there that Abraham intercedes and in, in his intercession, he's interceding that God's hand would be the mitigated or withheld from this judgment. And he starts with, if we find 50 righteous, if there's 50 righteous in the city. And the Lord says, okay, if there's 50, I won't judge. If there's 40, if there's 30, if there's 20, forgive me one more time to say to you, Lord, if there's 10. And the Lord says, if there's even 10. Abraham is practicing intercession, which is very fantastic in a typology, we call it, because he's doing the work and the ministry that Jesus has done on your behalf. He has interceded for you. And he continues to intercede for you. There's another appearing. He appeared to Jacob. Jacob. 32nd chapter of Genesis 24th verse all his family are gone and Jacob was left alone it says and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of day and when he saw that he prevailed not against him he touched the hollow of his thigh and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him and he said let me go for the day breaketh. and he said I will not let thee go Except thou bless me. And he said unto him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God. This was a man, and yet God. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And then in the 30th verse, it says, Jacob says, For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. one of the patriarchs, the one that would father the 12 sons that would become the 12 leaders of the 12 tribes, receives God's blessing to have his name changed from Jacob, which means cheater, to Israel, which means prince of God. He wrestled Jesus. Another instance you'll find in the book of Joshua. Fifth chapter, thirteenth verse. And it came to pass against him with his sword drawn in his hand. Oh, I'm sorry, and it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there a man. There stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him, and like a brave warrior as he was, he said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua saw at once that there was divinity in him, for Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship. He just worshiped and he said, what saith my Lord unto his servant? Now if this had been a created angel, he would have reproved Joshua as they did in many sectors of angelic visits recorded in the scriptures where they would say something like this, get up, I am one of your fellow servants. I am not the one that you worship. But no, in this one, the worship continues. And the captain of the host of the Lord says unto Joshua, loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy, and Joshua did so. Same thing as with Moses. Right here. The holy moment the Lord has appeared And another remarkable instance that is recorded in the third chapter of the book of Daniel, where we read the account of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the the cohorts with Daniel. They're being cast into the fiery furnace. You are probably aware of that story because they were standing true to their faith and they would not bow themselves down to any other idol, not even the king's idol because they had only one king as they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace in the heat of that furnace the men that delivered them into the furnace were slain they got so close it had been heated so hot that they perished. and as Nebuchadnezzar this great king that had built a 90 foot tall idol to himself gazed into that fiery furnace he said I don't see just three men I see four His anger melts within him quickly when he stands in the presence of divinity. And he said the fourth one, he looks like the son of God. Divinity. Obvious. Jesus. Walking with him in the middle of the furnace. Aren't you glad he walked with you in the middle of your furnace? When it comes to Jesus Christ He is far more than your concept may have held till now When we celebrate Christmas We celebrate not some lesser God We celebrate He who is co-equal in the Trinity With the Father and with the Holy Spirit And in that perfect union They have functioned And they function with us Jesus It says in Colossians, that in him was all of God fully. Not part, all. Jesus. He is the most powerful force the world has ever seen. There is nothing in comparison to him. Nothing. What could you compare to this? He is God in the flesh. That child is God in the flesh and his birth set in motion the defeat of sin and death and he broke the back of our oppressor Satan and he did what no one and no thing could possibly do. He is not helpless. He is not harmless. In the Chronicles of Narnia, exchange between Susan and Mr. Mr. Beaver of Aslan the Lion, which is a type of Jesus, picture of Jesus. She she asked if Aslan the lion is safe and Mr. Beaver replies, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Take a look with me at this fantastic scripture, Colossians 1, 15 through 20. And now after that, facts that we've put out to you from the scriptures now read about your Jesus how the apostles understood him and how they preached him and what they knew of him Christ is the visible image of the invisible God he existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation for through him God created everything in the heavenly realms. Are you catching this? This is crazy. It confirms. He is the visible image of the invisible God. He is God in the flesh. He existed before anything was created. His existence didn't happen a night in Bethlehem. It is before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him God, the triune God, the the, the trinity through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on the earth, he is the one that created he made the things we can see and the things we can't see such as thrones or kingdoms or rulers and authorities in the unseen world Everything was created through him. And look at this, for him. He existed before anything else. And he holds all creation together. You want to know why it still works? It's because your Jesus is holding all things together Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. First resurrected, defeat of death. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Are you getting the picture of why the angels appear on that night to shepherds and to sing glory to God in the highest? What an amazing thing when we start to recognize and our minds begin to grab who this Jesus is that we sing about that we talk about that we give our lives to Jesus the Christ this baby was the confluence the intersection the embodiment of all the hopes and the fears of all the years you know that's coming from a great old carol old little town of Bethlehem all our hopes for salvation were met in him. And all the enemy's fears, Satan's fears, his kingdom's fears, that a savior would come here for the welfare of those held in captivity. The fears of the enemy. Do you want to, you want to know why he's so good at creating fear in this world? It's because he is Afraid. There's one thing he's terribly afraid of. And it is the Lion of Judah. It is God in the flesh. It is Jesus. All the enemy's fears that a Savior would come were met that night and said, you best be afraid, enemy, because I have come. And I'm going to set them free. Here's a great term. Let me find it for you in John 3.16. You may know this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now that is a key phrase. Only begotten. Do you know what that means, really? It's really quite interesting, only begotten only begotten it means that that just simply it's the only one of its kind there's nobody like this there's nothing like this the only begotten son one son it's also found in several other New Testament verses that phrase it's found in uh, John 4 9 and the world uh, and he wrote this I'm sorry John chapter 1 And the word, that's Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. Later John writes in 1 John 4, 9, he said, In this the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Only begotten. I mean, one of the kind. No, nobody else like this. This is unique. Nobody else could ever be this. In Revelation, it speaks that they looked for somebody that could open the scroll. And there was only one found that could open the scroll. Even in the searches of heaven, no angel would do. No other being would do. It must be Jesus. The second in the Trinity of equality Father, Son, Holy Spirit and he is the only one that could open the scroll the only begotten yeah there is only one way to God the Greek word for only begotten is just majone. majone I'm close on that majone And it just means only one of its kind. Some Bible uh, paraphrase it this way. The one and only son. He's the only begotten son of God. He's eternally with the Father. The only begotten son took on flesh, became the incarnate son when he's born of Mary. Born of a virgin. How could that happen? Well, quite simply, actually, the same God who created life from the dust of the earth by the word of his mouth and the power of his spirit could certainly also create life in the womb of a virgin by just simply the word of his mouth and the power of his spirit nothing is impossible for God so God himself became one of us you just think about that the creator of the universe takes on flesh he was born of a peasant girl the one that spoke the galaxies into existence became a speechless newborn baby the one who gave the stars their light veiled his own glory and slipped into the sea of humanity with barely a ripple The only one clothed. the only I'm sorry, the one who clothed all of nature. Everything that you see with this boundless beauty, with this, with this incredible, stunning vistas that you and I get to walk amongst and enjoy. And wrapped in rags, here he appears in a feeding trough. The author of life, he comes to die for sinful humanity. That's the miracle of the Incarnation. What does the Bible tell us about the only begotten son, this baby in the manger? Well, it says this. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He is no helpless baby. God sent his only begotten son to become the incarnate son that you and I might become the adopted sons and daughters of God. He's begotten. He becomes incarnate that we might be adopted. Begotten, incarnate, flesh, adopted. The only way to become a child of God is by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Much of the world thinks that's not so fair. There's only one way. I would just say it's incredibly loving because after all, God didn't make, didn't need to have anyway. And if he is the only one that can open the scroll, he's the only one that could have been the begotten son of God. He's the only one. God had to come. The son must come. Please note the uniqueness and the specialty of this. Note that of course he is the only way. He must be the only way. Look at the qualifications required. Find anybody with those qualifications. You'll not find just like they searched heaven and didn't find them. You will only find them in one. The begotten son came to be incarnated. So through Jesus and only through Jesus you become God's child. It is the way, the only way. And the way is a person. Galatians 4 says God sent his son to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us. There's that other word. So that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The Holy Spirit literally comes and inhabits our hearts of those that choose him. Prompting us all to call out, Abba, Father, a gentle word, an endearing word. What Jesus is by his nature, the Son of God, we become by grace. He is this perfect rendition of holiness and righteousness without mar, without any kind of shadow upon him. He is the beautiful light that has no darkness in him. And that is is by his nature, but you and I become this by his grace. Now you know why it's the greatest gift. And it's the only gift that really matters. It's the greatest news about Christmas that God sent his only begotten son to become the incarnate son so that you might become an adopted son or daughter of God. There are two more aspects I want to look at about him in this. In Luke 2.11, the angel announces to the shepherds, unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord now we have another title not only the only begotten but now we have this title of savior savior this is one that you are more familiar with this is a title that he has because he is the savior of the world what does it mean to be saved saved from what? Saved in what way? Now, if you ask most followers of Christ what it means to say Jesus is my Savior, they're going to say that Jesus saved them from their sins. He saved them from God's judgment. And that is all true. In fact, in Matthew one twenty-one, the angel told Joseph, he said, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And in Acts 10.43, it says, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness through his name so if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ believed in that name if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your savior then I can tell you with absolute certainty this morning based on the truth of scripture your sins are forgiven your sins are forgiven but Jesus also saves us from God's judgment Romans 5, 9 says, Since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. So Jesus saves us from our sins, and he saves us from God's judgment. And if that's all it means to be saved, well, that certainly is more than we could ever hope hope for or deserve. We will never be able to thank God enough just for that work of forgiveness and that work of being saved from, from judgment and condemnation. And now we have that certainty of heaven has been secured in Christ, our Savior. And that's a most important aspect of salvation. Jesus saves us from death. He saves us from punishment after death. Salvation in the Old Testament also meant to relieve you from something that was constricting or confining you. So it wasn't just saved from sins or saved from judgment and condemnation. There's another work of Jesus right now taking place right now in time with you. Going on right now. In the Old Testament, it was that something was constructing or confining you. You were under a heavy burden or whatever. It meant to give you room to breathe. The picture of all that was when the children of Israel, they were backed up against the Red Sea and they're being closed in by the chariot armies of the Pharaoh and they are confined, no way out. They are trapped. And the word for salvation means to relieve you from that confinement, to give you room. The traps are broken. You have a way through the struggles of this world. So in the Old Testament, salvation meant to turn scarcity into sufficiency and freedom from distress. He's there to walk with you. He truly is your shepherd. He really is with you. So he doesn't just save us from punishment after death, but he relieves us from the brokenness that life brings. You're going through brokenness right now. You're experiencing things in this life that are beyond you. As you walk into this Christmas season and reflect upon the year that will soon be past, you are going to look at things that were very troubling, very hard. It broke your heart. It brought a hardness to you maybe. Maybe it was a bitterness that has found resonant within your life through it. I want to counsel you today. You don't have to walk alone with this because because Christ the Savior God in the flesh God incarnate the only begotten son incarnate is in your life believer when you put your faith in Christ when you make that conscious decision to believe him and to take God at his word the Bible says in Acts 2 it says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved Do you need to be saved a bit from your brokenness in this world? Broken relationship, finances, mind, emotions? Do you need to experience a deliverance, some breathing space? Get out from the confinement that's pressing you against the Red Sea? He is there for you right now. This Jesus... We only have one thing to offer this world through the Christian faith and that is he that is the center and everything about it which is Jesus Christ. One more final aspect. One last aspect to this baby. Unto you a Savior is born who is Christ the Lord. So what does it mean to say Jesus is Lord Do you know that title was used 7,000 times in the Old Testament? 7,000 times that God uses for himself. Lord. When the angel said to these Jewish shepherds, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, they knew that the angel was announcing the birth of a divine person this wasn't an ordinary baby, this baby is the Messiah Jesus, Savior, Christ Messiah, anointed one it's not a first and last name, it's two titles he's your Savior and he is the Christ, he is the Messiah, he is the anointed one and he's born to you the Lord He's announcing this birth, that God has come. The baby, this Messiah, the Christ, was God himself. And probably the most important passage about the lordship in the Bible Bible is Philippians chapter 2. And it describes his divinity, his incarnation, his humiliation, his suffering, his exaltation, and his lordship over all creation. I'm going to give those to you slowly when we walk through this scripture as we close. Philippians chapter 2, and this is about Jesus the Lord. It says, for he as Jesus, who had always been God by nature. Just write the word divinity right there. Right on your note. He had always been God by nature. For he is Jesus, who had always been God by nature. Divinity. He had always been God by nature. He did not Cling to his prerogatives as God's equal. He's saying, I am God's equal. I am not subordinate. I am his equal. We are all co equal. It's a trinity. He did not cling to his prerogatives as God's equal, but he stripped himself of all privilege by consenting to be a slave by nature and being born as a mortal man. Right, incarnation, right there. He was born uh, as a mortal man. Being born as a mortal man and having become a man, he humbled himself by living a life of utter obedience. Write the word humiliation. That's describing his humiliation. Even to the extent of dying, and the death he died was the death of a common criminal. Write the word, suffering. And that is why God has now lifted him so high and has given him the name above all names. Write the name exaltation. He's given him the name above all names. So at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow whether in heaven or earth or under the earth and that is why in the end every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord write the word Lordship right there Jesus Christ is the Lord that's Lordship to the glory of God the Father So we have his divinity, his incarnation, his humiliation, his suffering, his exaltation, and his lordship. All in that passage, Jesus is the Lord, the supreme authority, the master, the owner of all. Because he is the creator and the savior of all. And get this, Jesus is your Lord. Whether you want him to be or not, If you refuse to surrender to Him, that does not mean that He is no longer Lord. He is Lord, period, exclamation mark. It does not matter whether you've surrendered to Him or bowed your knee at this time. He's your Lord. He's Lord of all creation. Because God said so, we just read it. He is your Lord. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 28, he said to his disciples, all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Not will be given. Someday, no. It has been given to me because Jesus already paid the price to redeem you. He is your Lord. Therefore, he has the right to determine your eternal destiny. Better yet to understand it this way. You can choose a different destiny with Christ than you have without Christ because He has become Lord of all, and you can choose to surrender to the Lord of all. That's amazing to me. He is your Lord. The question is not, is Jesus Lord? He is. The question is, have I submitted to his lordship? You see, you don't make Jesus Lord. You do not make him Lord. As though you were awarding him a ceremonial title or something, the possession is already his. It is given by God. It's already given by God. So you don't make Jesus Lord, but you do acknowledge Jesus as your Lord by surrendering to him. The choice is up to you at least for now. Because one day that choice will be vacated. Upon the expiry of your time on earth or upon the return of Jesus and the end of things because as that passage says in Philippians the day is coming that every knee shall bow whether in heaven or earth or hell itself and every tongue shall confess that includes the tongue of every person who has ever lived or ever will live every tyrant, bully, oppressor every demon, every angel, every sinner uh, and every sinner and every saint, every theologian and every atheist, even the tongue of Satan himself will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Some will bow and confess and confess worship. of Others will bow and confess and utter defeat. But it's inevitable. One day everyone will bow. And confess the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's, that's who was born in that manger. That's who came amongst us. It was Jesus The Son, only begotten Son of God. He, full of God Himself, the Trinity, everything in Him, there He is. Oh, Philip, you would have known me. How come you don't know me? If you knew the Father, you would know me. Oh, friends. As we start this December run towards celebrations of the first advent of Jesus Christ, looking forward to the second. The first advent of Jesus Christ is the most amazing thing, formulated before anything else was spoken into creation. Here is the plan of God He will come, He will come as the only begotten Son, He will be your Savior. And he will be Lord. And he is Lord of all. Would you stand with me please? Fathers, we bow our heads before you. We're starting just to talk about this beautiful advent of Jesus and who Jesus Christ really is. Lord, as we come in to this season, I pray that our hearts will be awakened to the majesty, the glory of our Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Messiah, our anointed one. I pray that it would grip our hearts and bring us that power of He walks with me. He lives in the hearts of those that believe and trust him. This is Jesus. And Jesus, we acknowledge you with our knees bowed. Now with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here and you have never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, your Lord... He is the only begotten son. There is no other son of God that's going to do the work of salvation for you. Neither can they. He is the one that God has sent amongst us himself, full of the nature of God. There is an option A, B, C. There's option A for salvation. And if you've never received Christ, it's as simple as a decision of your heart and mind. As you surrender to the Lord, who is the creator, who is the God who loved you before time exists, who has an eternal purpose and plan for you, waiting for your decision and choice. I would advocate that you make that choice. Here's a little prayer, you can pray pray in the quietness of your heart. Give you a little prayer to formalize this kind of step. And it might be something like this you might say in your heart, Jesus Christ. I need a Savior. I am a sinner. I've lived for myself far too much. I need an anointed one. I need that perfect one, and it's you. I want to know God personally, and you. Are the visible image of the invisible God. You died on the cross for my sins. You put a call out to me. And you've called me home. And today, I'm receiving this call. I answer the call with a yes, Lord. Be my Savior, be my Lord. I acknowledge you as my God, the God, the only God. And I acknowledge with this prayer that I am surrendering my life to you. I am kneeling to the Lord of all things and I'm doing it now rather than later so come into my life be my Savior be my Lord I trust you in Christ's name I pray this prayer and all God's people said God bless you. Thank you for listening to our program. If you find this broadcast to be helpful, please let us know. You can call us at 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com.